Hello, and welcome to AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. I'm your host, John S. Today, we'll be speaking with Holly D. from Orlando, Florida. Holly shares her experience, strength, and hope with us and talks about integrating the steps into her everyday life. I think you'll enjoy the program. Holly, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, John. Well, it's so nice of you to agree to do this. Um, I know you've probably got a lot going on over there. Um, so how's your day going anyway? Pretty good thus far. How about yourself? Not bad. It's just very, very cold here in KC, so I'm going to stay in all day long. Coats. So anyway, um, usually I like to start these uh these discussions, I guess, just have the person tell me a little bit about their story, you know, what happened, what it's like, what it's like now, and let's see where that might take us. You want to, you want to go into that a little bit? Sure. Um, for me, I had my first drink, um, you know, probably about 14 experimenting with, uh, grandma's liquor cabinet. Um, I'm Portuguese. So although she never drank, uh, her entire life, she would, uh, make, you know, um, alcohol for, for visitors and so I was very curious, um, to, to try that. And I remember my best friend actually to this day was with me and she didn't partake and she just sort of looked at me and I remember watching Saturday night live and I thought it was the funniest thing ever. And it was when Chris Farley was still around and, um, mm-hmm. I enjoyed it, but I was, um, very afraid to disappoint anybody or, or sort of, you know, get caught. So I didn't really, um, drink again until I was about, you know, 16. And, um, I had dis- I had a very, very overprotective mother and I wasn't allowed to sleep out often at all. So when I was able to, I really made the most of it. And, um, you know, drugs are a part of my story as well. So I figured out that we could have, um, siblings sometimes pose as parents, um, to say, yeah, you know, I'll be home and they'll be safe. And, um, that gave me uh, opportunity to, you know, attend parties. And even from the beginning, you know, um, I wanted as much alcohol as I could get. And, uh, I'd often try to be the boss of, of the booze and, um, and, and sort of distribute it and, and, and hide, you know, some to make sure that I had some for later. And, you know, even shots, I would, I would pour out the shots for everybody. And I remember like even early on, like pouring normal size shots for others, but, you know, getting like a juice glass for myself and, um, just really the obsession started early on. And, um, by the time I was 18, I had my own apartment. Um, and I was also in a car accident, um, when I was about 17. And so when I turned 18, I, uh, had a, a check for $50,000, um, and at my own place and, um, you know, early alcoholism. So that was a recipe, um, for disaster and, um, you know, that money and I worked, but so that really afforded me, um, to purchase, my alcohol and had a place of my own. Uh, and I always had different people living there and, you know, the more Mm -hmm. people that were around the, the more money I had to spend on booze. And, and so I could really just, you know, live the way I wanted to live, which was, you know, drunk or on, on something else. 
And uh, so it just continued. Um, it continued that way for, for many years. And um, I'm a blackout drinker and um, I blacked out most times that I drank um, mm-hmm. unless I was practiced or trying to practice controlled drinking, which never worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember, you know, in my early twenties going to, uh, I think my, yeah, my first, so my first detox, I remember I was in my early twenties and I was sitting at a bar at like eight o'clock in the morning by myself. Um, and it was one of those like third shift bars, but I of course wasn't working third shift. I was still partying from the night before and I just was overcome with sadness. Like how, how did I get here at a bar by myself, a young girl, you know, mm-hmm. drinking this early in the morning, still haven't have slept from the night before and, you know, really sad. And I called up my best friend and, and she came and picked me up and I am, you know, very overly dramatic. Um, so I of course said, Oh, that's it. You know, I'm going to kill myself if I don't get help right now. And somebody has got to do something to help and fix me right now. And so she had brought me to, um, a detox and I, I don't think I even had health insurance. And ju- it just so happened that one of the guys that was the intake people knew me, um, cause he was sort of in the same scene and, um, but he was, he, he was sober and he was able, you know, they even told me, you know, you don't really need detox. You you probably need to just go to a 12 step program. Mm -hmm. Um, but I insisted, I insisted that they had to take me and there was, I was not Mm going to take no for an answer. So they did admit me. And I'd probably say once I sobered up, I, I said, you know, I really don't need to be here. And I, and I took off, I'm sure AMA or unplanned, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, what had happened was rather than going to college, um, when I, when I, I did graduate high school, but then I decided instead of going to college that I was just going to work. And I ended up working at a tattoo parlor. And, um, and I felt like the guys that I worked with were, you know, really cool. And I, I was finally able, you know, to sort of like sit at the cool table and mm-hmm. be with the cool kids. And, um, you know, that sort of environment was really, uh, went hand in hand with, you know, the whole sex, drugs and rock and roll thing. And, um, so I really found people that, uh, drank and partied like I did. And, um, yeah. and, and, you know, it wasn't uncommon to be hung over in the morning and to, you know, need to take a little nap at work. Uh, it was yeah. just sort of acceptable. Um, you know, and, but even early on, I remember my boss being concerned about me and saying, you know, I, I like to party too, but I don't understand why you know, you guys don't know when to turn it off and, and sort of, you know, function. And, and I was watching other people, you know, drink heavily and mm-hmm. still be able to, to purchase homes or to purchase vehicles right. and to, and to have stuff. And I just, you know, some people can't say, Oh, you know, I came in when I lost everything. I was one of those people that I didn't have anything to lose really. You know, I, I always had a, right. a roof over my head. Um, and probably some, shitty car that I, you know, I definitely, my cars always looked like an alcoholic drove them. Um, you know, I always had dings and bumps and scrapes and, um, you know, missing tires and, and flat tires. And, but, um, you know, I always had enough to get by, but I never, I never had a good quality of life. 
So um, anyway, that that sort of continued. And I thought maybe at one point, well, I'll change my lifestyle and I'll, I'll go back to school. And I went to community college and um, got an associates in paralegal studies and, and tried, you know, working um, at a law firm. And mm-hmm. and it was one of those things where a lot of jobs that I had, you know, I, I always sort of pushed to see how how long it was going to take to get fired because you know, I was calling out all the time because I was hungover or, you know, I, I remember one time going into work and I was so hungover or I don't even know if I had taken something that day, but I fell asleep in the bathroom for like an hour or two hours. <laughs> Nobody even, you know, I just came back yeah. and acted as if nothing had happened, but I, like the, people must've wondered like what happened to me? You know, I, I was not, um, I was employed, um, most mm-hmm. of the time, but I was not employable really. Um, so anyway, this continued on, and I'd say in my late twenties is when I had um, reunited with an old friend um, who later became my husband, um, and he was sort of like the crazy, you know, bla- the craziest blackout drunk out of the group. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, pr- had this false sense of pride that I was the crazy, you know, uh, blackout drunk girl, and. Um, I thought, wow, how cool is this going to be? You know, two, two crazy drunks together, you know, we're going to have a ton of fun. Well, mm-hmm. um, he was also, uh, an addict and, um, had introduced me to, uh, some harder substances that, that were new to me. Um, and we had an extremely toxic relationship and, uh, you know, I remember one night he was, I don't know. I was in a blackout and I came home and I had said that I was, you know, out with a guy or something. And mm-hmm. he ended up, you know, physically assaulting me and going to jail. And I, you know, was coming out of my blackout and I, nobody knew where I lived because I didn't want my family right. to have my address because I didn't want anyone to ever show up unannounced and see the state that I was usually in. So mm-hmm. somehow they had gotten a hold of my address. And, uh, my father ended up showing up and, and, and could see, you know, what, what I was living, how I was living, um, mm-hmm. and said, you know, what, what do you want to do? Like, is this, is this what you want to do? And my father, um, is an alcoholic who doesn't drink, but, um, you know, I said, okay, you know, I'll, I'll take some help. I've got to do something. I don't really want to live like this. And, um, so we, we brought my car to the junkyard and, I don't know, probably got a few mm-hmm. bucks for it and packed up what I could. And, uh, he had brought me, I'm from Rhode Island. So he brought me to a, a Butler hospital that had a detox. And I, luckily I was working at a job where I managed to get health insurance probably for the first time in my adult life. And, um, so I was able to go to this detox and they had said, you know, at the time there weren't any, um, you know, residential treatment programs in Rhode Island. So they said, you know, do you want to go to Connecticut or do you want to go to Florida for treatment? And I said, Oh, I've got family in Florida. I'll come on down to Florida. And I did. And I did a, um, a 30 day, uh, or 20 day treatment program down in South Florida. Mm -hmm. And, um, in, in that rehab, I, I had, I was allowed phone time and I ended up calling my ex and, uh, and, and we decided to work things out and he was going to go to AA and I was going to do rehab and then I'd get out and everything would be perfect. I even had my engagement ring, um, shipped to the rehab that I was. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's how sick I was. 
and I remember the staff being like, you know, what are you doing? And, and, and this is crazy, you know, and you can't see the sickness and, oh no, no, I've got this, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much cured. I've done, I've done, you know, a few days in, in rehab. So I know uh-huh. exactly what I'm doing and nobody needs to really tell me much. And so, um, so I got out of rehab and I went back to Rhode Island and we decided, you know, they said, um, no major changes, you know, for the first year. So I got out and I think like a, probably a couple weeks later, I got a dog and then, um, you know, I got out of detox, I think in November, I think by March I was married. Wow. Very classy, uh, <laughs> wedding at the VFW post that was double booked with a quinceanera. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, it was paper little aisle. I mean, I don't think anybody uh-huh. was happy. Uh, everybody, just knew it was the worst idea ever. And um, I'm sure many of my family members and friends cried, but they tried to hide it. And uh, yeah, it was, it was really, it was really terrible. So, so anyway, so probably after being married for about a month and a half, and I think I was probably at like six months um, sober and I was going to AA, but I, I wasn't working the steps. I had a sponsor that was doing, I think like a step study or an AWOL or something. So she wasn't able to start the steps with me. And I probably wasn't at a place to really work them hard anyway. So, um, shortly after getting married, my ex husband said, you know, the sobriety thing, it's, it's really not, uh, for me right now. And, you know, I'm going to go back out. You don't have to go back out. I'm going to go back out. And of course me being, extremely insecure and oh he can't he's not going to go back out and be at the bar and hit on women and be around boobs and I'm not going to sit at home while that happens so I said well I'm going back out too and um that that was probably my last year out and I would say that um I had went to some extremely dark places that I really um wasn't even aware existed and um that is so frightening it's like you guys both made a conscious decision to just to go. Yep. It was game on. It was game yeah. on and and we we hit the ground running and 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 it was a disaster. It was an absolute disaster. Yeah. And so um I'd say <clears throat> probably did that for I don't even know about a year, a little over a year and you know it was my 30th birthday and I remember we were hungover or still drunk or something and we got into a fight and he pushed me and I said, "You know what? I I don't want to be with this guy ever again." And so mm-hmm. I packed up my stuff, what I could take. And then I had friends go back later and get the rest of my stuff. And I, I mean, I didn't have much. Um, and that was actually the last time I had ever, I had ever seen that man. And I'm, I'm 35 now, but, uh, I decided I was going to come back down to Florida and live with family. And I was gonna, um, I was going to work it out and get better. And, um, you know, when I got down here, I was living with my aunt and I thought, well, you know, now that, now that my ex isn't around, you know, maybe I can just try drinking again and I, I won't use drugs, you know? And I had, I had mm-hmm. done the whole thing before where I would only drink, um, you know, everything it talks about in the big book, I'd right. only drink on certain days. I'd only drink wine. I don't, I even, I think at one point my ex-husband told me I could do drugs, but I just couldn't drink. I mean, I, right. tried, <laughs> I tried everything and of course none of it worked. So while I was down in Florida, <clears throat> you know, I arrived here in June of 2000, 2010 and um, 
So I, my cousin was also living at home and she was uh, of legal age. So we were working at a call center together and were drinking together after work. And one night she, you know, I was a very, very mean blackout drunk and uh, mm-hmm. I would become extremely aggressive and abusive. And I would tell you everything that you didn't want to hear, maybe thought about yourself and, and then some. And so yeah. I was just being a terrible person to her and I'm sure she got over it and she left me at a bar. And so mm-hmm. it was about two o'clock in the morning and I had picked up some guy at the bar and I had heard about where I could get some um, substances and it mm-hmm. was in a very, very, very da- dangerous area in Florida yeah. and I didn't care. And so I took a cab out there and um, I ended up getting robbed at gunpoint and um, had nothing left but just the drugs shoved in my bra. And mm-hmm. um, I didn't even have money to pay for the night. Like it was a $90 cab ride. That's how far we traveled. Wow. And um, luckily, my sister's friend used a credit card so that I wouldn't, you know, get arrested for not paying this, this, mm-hmm. uh, this cab fare. So, you know, and that was sort of that was an eye opener for me. But it's and you would think that that would have been the end. But I still kept going for a couple weeks more after that. But it was it was it was getting it, it, was, yeah. it was time. I still yeah. kept going. And so there had been another night where. Um, I was out, you know, with the same cousin and she had confided in me a few different things. And, uh, I was in a blackout and apparently I don't even know, she must've left me again, probably cause she got over me and mm-hmm. somebody just, I was blacked out, but somebody had recognized me and knew who my sister was and had called mm-hmm. my sister to say, you know, your sister's here and she's a mess and somebody's got to come handle her or something bad's going to happen or she's going to get arrested. So she yeah. ended up coming. And I, uh, I was threatening her, I think with physical violence or, or being verbally abusive or doing my usual stuff and she Mm -hmm. couldn't handle me, you know? And so she called my aunt and my aunt came the, it was the aunt that I was living with. She came and picked me up and I, I guess proceeded to tell her everything that her daughter had confided in me. Um, and things that really she didn't need to know, nor did I have any business telling her. And, um, and that, and then I woke up in the morning and I of course didn't know any of this until I was told. And my mom had called out of work because, you know, they basically, my mom and and my aunt had like a a mini intervention with me and I could just see the, the absolute heartbreak and desperation in their eyes and their sadness for me. And I thought I caused that. Yeah, I, I, I am making them feel this way because of my alcoholism. And, you know, they were like, I didn't have health insurance at the time. And they were like, we don't care where you go or what you do, but you, you didn't come here to live, you know, in my house and to continue this behavior. And you, we know that you don't really want to live like this. And so you've got to do something. So I ended up finding some like state run, detox in Delray that Mm -hmm. would accept you without, um, insurance. And it was super cheap. And, um, so I just went there and I spent, I think like five days there and it was terrible, you know, and there was no, there were no meetings and there were Mm -hmm. no, there was nothing frilly or nice about it. It was basically just cement and um, 
And I remember they didn't even have a pillowcase. And I said, you know, can I have a pillowcase? And they said, no, use your t-shirt. We, we ran out. Wow. And it was exactly <laughs> what I needed. It was exactly yeah. what I needed. And, um, you know, that detox was a good example of basically, you know, how, how my life was, you know, and, yeah. and, and I got out of that detox on July 26, 2010. And, um, I've been sober ever since. And, um, I immediately, you know, I was ready. I came out of that mm -hmm. detox entirely ready, um, to do whatever it took. I was willing, I was desperate. I immediately got into AA. Mm -hmm. Um, I stuck with, I, you know, I call her my AA grandma and I found out, um, you know, fairly recently that she's passed, but you know, she was this 72 year old woman at the time. And, Mm -hmm. uh, little Irish woman. And she had, you know, like 30 years and I, I stuck close to her and I'd pick her up at least once a week and we'd go set up the meeting. And, um, you know, I did service work or whatever was asked. And if that just meant setting up chairs, that's what I did. Yeah. And I had, you know, different positions and stuff over the years, but, um, I just, you know, I remember when I, when I got my year, one of the kids saying, you know, you came in really cocky and I didn't think you were going to make it. And I said, I wasn't, trying to be cocky. I just was confident that I didn't want to live like that. anymore. you had enough. I had it. Yeah. I had enough. Um, yeah. Well, I sure relate to you on so many different levels. Um, the one thing that you kept talking, you, you've mentioned that I experienced was being a blackout drinker as well. And you kind of brought home to me the absolute fear and bewilderment when other people would talk to me about my drinking or what they, they may have seen me or whatever. And I was just so confused and terrified because I really had no memory of whatever the hell I did. Right. And when you were talking about your boss who was saying, you know, I just don't understand why you guys can't just turn it off. Right. And that that was just that was the frustrating part for me, too, because you're surrounded by people you went to school with, whoever, who were drinking normally or at least partying, you know, but they could turn the party off and we couldn't. And it's just uh, it's our stories are so powerful. I mean, just listening to that. um, just made me understand that, yeah, I'm in the right place. I, right. <laughs> I definitely shouldn't be drinking. Absolutely. So, um, so did you start out going to meetings in Orlando? No, it was actually um, in Port St. Lucie, Florida is where I got sober. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I went to um, traditional meetings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I really had spent the majority of my life, um, either agnostic or atheist. I just, even, even as a kid, I just never felt a connection, um, to like a, a God or, or, yeah. and so I, I went to Catholic school when I was much younger, just for a few years. And even then, like, I just never, I never felt like in my heart that there was a God, but, um, yeah. you know, my father, when he, when he got sober, he did AA for a year and then decided to go the born again, Christian route. And so mm. he had um, brought me to church, you know, on and off when I was younger. But I just, you know, I, I, I'd go through the motions, but I, I never felt anything. And then. Yeah, um, I was the same way. I, I, I don't know. I didn't believe or not believe. I just felt like I was incapable of having whatever that belief was. Sure. Uh, sure. But so did, did, did you have a problem with AA when you first got in because of the God thing? No, because I, I was honestly, I was so desperate that I was like, if these people tell me that I have to believe in God to stay sober yeah. I, and you know, I'm an, I'm a very extreme person. So I'm like, if I'm going to believe in God, then I'm going to go, you know, and I tried some non-denominational churches. Like I tried uh -huh. like a biker church and, you know, I ended up finding this church that the people were really nice. And I said, well, if, I, if I'm going to do it, then I'm going to be a Christian and I'm going to, I'm going to be a really good Christian. 
I'm going to tithe. I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do, you know, and, and I was trying, but I kept bringing like, you know, I would go to church and I would say, you know, this, this, this doesn't make sense. And like, the Bible says this, and this isn't adding up to me. Can somebody explain this? I was questioning everything. And I think they were sort of, they were trying to be really loving, but at the same time, I remember like at one point they were like, um, this is what it says in like, either you believe or you don't believe, you know, basically. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, I just don't buy it. You know, I, I just don't buy it. And so, um, but in the beginning it, it was, it was like, whatever, whatever you tell me I'm going to do. And then finally I got to the point where I was like, this is, this is, this is not working for me. I feel like the square peg in the round hole and there's gotta be people out there that are in AA that are staying sober and that are, that don't believe in God. There just has, there just has to be someone somewhere. Um, so when I moved to Orlando, the Orlando area, well, I I actually moved outside of Orlando um, Uh and I called intergroup and I said, you know, has anybody heard of, of, of agnostic AA or, or is there any kind of alternative group or, and they said, yeah, you know, it just so happens that there is one in Orlando and, um, How about that? and that's <laughs> our mostly agnostic groups of drunks. And I, I yep. know, you know, Mikey and, um, he's yep. the, one of the people that started that meeting or he, he was the first one that uh-huh. joined everybody. So, um, you know, I ended up going and checking out that meeting and what a sense of relief. And there were people there telling me it's okay. You can be true to yourself. You don't have to make pretend that you believe in God anymore. And we'll show you, you know, what, what we do to tweak the program to, to make, Uh to make sense. And I said, wow, you know, like, wow, this is awesome. And it, you know, Mikey is now my sponsor. He became my sponsor Uh shortly after. And, um, it's been so awesome, you know, to, to make this program work, um, for me and, and to thine own self be true and to have to fake it till I make it because that was never going to work for me. Um, that's so cool that the inner group, uh, well, obviously our, ours is that way too, that they, they actually, they could refer you to them, that they were aware of your, the, that group and knew that it was right for you. Yeah. It actually took, you know, I think he, he said initially, like, you know, I don't think so, but he ended up researching it and calling me back and saying, Oh, you know, by the way, yeah, here, here it is. And, ah, uh, oh. From what I can remember. So I'm really grateful for that because I don't, I don't know where I would be if, you know. Yeah. The thing with me, I, um, I, I went way, way too long trying to do the, I don't know what I was doing, but I, I eventually got to the point after decades where I needed I was either going to leave AA or I, I needed to find some other way to do it because I couldn't go to meetings anymore and not be honest. So thank goodness for this. You know, I, I was like you. I, it was a relief for me to find that there were these alternatives. But we didn't have a group in Kansas City, but I was able to help start one. So and it's just turned things around. Absolutely. So do you... Um, you know, when I was starting off in um, this thing too, there's a there's a this. I was amazed by all the the diversity amongst us atheists and agnostics. Like some people have absolutely no use for the steps, and some people do. And how do you feel about that? Do you do you, do you work the steps and that type of thing? I find the steps, you know, very helpful. Um, and yeah. the first time I worked them, obviously I did them traditionally the the best of the best I could at the time. And I, I, I remember questioning my sponsor at the time a lot with the God stuff. Cause I'm like, this just doesn't make sense. And like how, you know, I can't, and she just kept basically saying, you know, just do it. You know, basically I think her answer for a lot of it was like, 
the whole believe what I believe until you figure it out type of deal. And so, um, but I have reworked the steps with my sponsor since coming in and finding agnostic AA mm-hmm. and um, using resources, um, you know, to help me. And yeah, I mean, when you just, when you just really look at the root of what they're about, uh, mm-hmm. it, it makes a lot of sense and it's very helpful. You know, I find, you know, doing, you know, a 10 and 11 daily, you know, have I been a jerk today, you know, and have yeah. I been a jerk too. And is there something I can do to make it right? Or does that just look like maybe apologizing or trying to not do the behavior, you know, six and seven mm-hmm. character defects. You know, I, I, I'm wish I believed in a God that could just poof and take away everything that, you know, is wrong with me and, and the, the negative characteristics that I have, but I don't mm-hmm. find that to be true. So, you know, realizing that um, I act a certain way that's not really suiting me any longer. And, and what can I do to change that behavior yeah. and then practicing that? Um, that is so cool because, you know, step six and seven, I think that the people who believe in God, I don't think that they really get the benefit out of those steps that we who don't believe in God sure. get. Because if you think that God's just going to take it away, I mean, all you do is sit there and pray. and But then but then you know that God never really takes them away because it, it says that in our reading. But, but for us, it's like we have to be aware of our own behavior and then try to just through determination, I guess, and, and patience with ourselves, you know, try, try to improve over time Absolutely. and be honest with ourselves about it, where I think that a lot of the religious people, and I'm just kind of guessing, but I think that, I think that, that, that the, those two steps are given more lip service than anything else, because it's more like they're going to ask God to do it, but they have the, but they know that. God never will take them all away for whatever reason. Right, right. <laughs> if he's right. God, you think he would, but apparently he doesn't want to. Correct. He's not available at the time. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah, I, I, I'm the same way, I guess. I, uh, you know, the first thing I did when I realized I was an atheist is I, I went through the steps um, with a new perspective, and, and I found it, it was pretty easy to do because, you know, they do borrow from psychology as well as religion in those steps, so there's certainly a lot of psychological benefit, but I also, my attitude changed about them because I was a real believer that if I didn't do the steps, I was going to end up getting drunk. Sure. Absolutely. And I don't, I don't feel that way anymore. I feel like they're, um, they add to my life. There's no club that I'm going to be beaten with if I don't do them other than I won't have some tools, I guess, to, that I can use in my regular daily life. But yeah, well, I do think that possibly, I I feel like that could be true if, you know, and I do believe that that secrets can keep us sick. And I do think that it's really important to, you know, do a fourth and fifth step when you first come in and dump all of that stuff. Because for me anyway, you know, guilt, um, definitely kept me drinking, um, was one of the things that definitely fueled my alcoholism. And so if I'm still carrying that stuff and feeling guilty about that stuff, then, who knows, you know, where I'd be if I didn't sort of get rid of it. That's very true. It it helped me tremendously to get some basic understanding of myself about what made me tick and why I acted the way I did. And it also did get to the root of of the drinking. And I think I think that they were pretty brilliant about that in AA early on when they wrote the stats sure. because they knew that we alcoholics, the drinking really was a symptom that we had to get down to really what was it what was it underneath us that was causing us to drink. Um, you know, for me, I, I, uh, it was, it was pretty, um, obvious and, and to a certain extent, although my drinking was already out of control, but 
when when my mother committed suicide, that was um, my my drinking just went crazy after that. And I remember actually um, sitting in bars drinking and reliving her death, her death. So it's like that was obviously a resentment. And I and I and I drank for five years almost on a daily basis. And that was the overriding thing that drove my alcoholism. And I didn't even know it, um, but it should have been obvious. But when I did my fourth step and fifth step, then it became real obvious about what, what I was carrying with me, but I didn't know it all that time. I had no idea. I stuffed it, I guess, and, and drowned out the feelings. And I'm sorry for your loss. Oh no, it's well, thank you. It was a long, long time ago, but it was what, um, you know, like I say, I think I, I was already out of control drinking before that she died, but um, that was just further fuel sure. for my alcoholism. So there's a lot to that. I mean, had I not done steps four and five, I don't know if I ever would have really faced the that. I don't know if I ever would have really that that gave me a way, I guess, to deal with it. Right. And this was many, many years after the fact, and I still had to deal with it. So I've and I've dealt with it. Not to say that that it still doesn't affect me in some way, but it, it, it doesn't drive me and drive my life like it used to. And resentments do that to us, I think. Absolutely. So I think there's a lot of truth to that. So yeah, you know, um, for those people that don't do the steps, I think also that even if you don't act, act, actually go through the process of doing the steps with a sponsor or whatever, I think almost through osmosis, you kind of pick up a lot of it just by going to meetings anyway, right. because you know, you're getting honest with people. You might be talking to people after meetings about things. You might be recognizing stuff about yourself that you wouldn't be recognizing had you not been going to those meetings. And so there's a lot of just like they say here, the magic in the meetings, I think, too. Absolutely. So, yeah. Well, I don't know what to say after that. <laughs> I hope I didn't bring the conversation down a little bit with my own. No, my no, own... <laughs> no, no, no. I um, I work, you know, at a rehab, and and I hear a lot of a lot of stuff. So yeah, absolutely yeah, not. When when you're working in the rehab, do you do you run across people who have problems with AA because of the belief system and that type of thing? Are you able to talk to them about that? Yes, yes. I try to make it known to the therapists. Um, that if they have anybody that, you know, and, and the difference too is, is I don't really need to have a conversation with anybody about agnostic, you know, or, or being an atheist in AA that is just mad at God, because if they truly in their heart believe in God, then, and then they need to work that resentment out so that they can, um, there you have go. sobriety. But if somebody just truly doesn't believe that I would absolutely, I always ask, please send them my way because, you know, mm -hmm. I keep books, um, in my office. And so anytime I have, um, somebody that is interested in uh, agnostic AA, I give them literature. And if they're locals, I let them know about our meeting. And it's really cool. You know, when I actually see a patient make it to our meeting and that they really did follow through and they, they really are getting it. And that's just so awesome to see, but I don't, you know, because I think that this thing is still not really that widespread and people just really yeah. don't understand that we are out there and they can do it. And it's just, there's just not enough um, exposure yet to it. So yeah. I have such an awesome opportunity to share that with people that may never be able to get it otherwise. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, that's very true. We aren't quite that widespread. I think we're growing, but and I think we'll continue to grow. But yeah, there's a lot of people have no clue. And, you know, heck, I didn't for a long. This is this agnostic ace has been going around since 1975. I had no idea until a few years ago, you know, that it that even existed. So so I sort of get to be, you know, a lot of times the first person telling somebody, yeah, it exists. And you can. Yeah, it's like you can see like the 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 little light go off you know the little light Mm -hmm. and it's like wow really like that's a thing like i can do that and it's like yeah you can like i'm doing it so i'm here to tell you that you don't have to listen to anybody that's telling you you're not going to stay sober if you don't believe in god if that's if that's not your belief and like we are living proof that it's possible and that's so reassuring like because there's so much fear there i think i mean for me it was like there was so much fear because I just never, ever want to go back to the way I used to live. And so yeah. it's such yeah, a relief, no, relief knowing that you you don't have to have that fear. It's an irrational fear. You can do it without God. Absolutely. And your group sounds like it's such a fun group. I mean, when I was talking, when I was talking to Mikey the other day and you do things that are really unique, like the one thing that Mikey was talking about that I was really impressed by is that he wants people to be comfortable in traditional AA meetings. Yes. He thinks that's really important. And when he when we were talking about that, it, it kind of helped me kind of change my perspective a little bit because I, quite frankly, have been avoiding traditional AA meetings. Uh, I, don't, I don't have to go to them because we have enough here now that I just go to agnostic meetings. But he said, no, you need to be comfortable in traditional meetings because you never know when you're going to be out of town or you're on a trip or something and you won't have agnostic AA meetings and you need to learn how to deal with the traditional meetings as an atheist or an agnostic. And he actually helps people in your group to do that. He's helped me personally to do that because I remember finally after finding, you know, that group and then going to, to traditional meetings, I was sort of like getting really angry because I mm-hmm. was like hyper aware of how much yeah. talk is happening. Yeah. And so I would leave, you know, and I was calling him a lot back then because I'm like, can you believe it? You know? And I remember one one meeting, I was so on fire about agnostic AA that I wanted to like tell everybody in AA that this existed. So I, and I live in a very, I live in the country and it's, uh-huh. it's very God heavy. Um, and so I remember telling people like, Hey, there's an agnostic meeting in Orlando. If anybody's, you know, when they say, does anybody have any announcements? And I'd raise my hand all excited. And, um, and I found that I needed to stop doing that because I feel like the meetings kind of topic turned toward that. And I just didn't, that wasn't my goal. I didn't need a lecture. I was telling everybody because I didn't know if there are other people like me that needed this tool. So mm-hmm. um, people sort of know now, so I don't even need to say it. Like, but, uh, and I've, I've shared my story locally. So I think that, and it's a small town. So I think people pretty mm-hmm. much know that I'm like, you know, the atheist. And yeah. so, um, but you know, I do go because I, I like to go to a couple meetings a week and, um, you know, I do the online version of our meeting every Tuesday. Oh yeah. 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 Orlando's like an hour for me. Um, so I basically just go the last, um, meeting of the month because that's when we have our business meeting and then I do the uh-huh. online one every week. But so that's not really enough. I, I need to at least go to another meeting. Um, and so the only option I really have is, is a traditional meeting. Um, so uh-huh. You know, and I'm okay with it now. And I just, I really do the whole take what I can and leave the rest. And it's a, it's a good opportunity to practice patience because I'm a very impatient person. And, um, 
And like I said, especially where I live, it's the meetings tend to be, um, you know, and I know which ones are super God heavy and I have those because those, I I really sort of leave extra frustrated, but you know, just the, the, the normal, whatever the normal amount of God talk is, I can tolerate. And I just try. Yeah. I think I can too. And, and, you know, I, I, I know, I think the majority of the people that actually go to AA are not real church goers, except for maybe in some communities they are, but here in the urban area where I live in Kansas city, not so many, you know, are that religious, but they might be kind of fundamentalist about AA itself. Okay. But, you know, for the most part, they, they let, they, they aren't going to give me a hard time, but yeah, I've, I've just not challenged myself. I'm, I'm going to start doing it though, because I do believe it's important to be integrated into the whole of AA and not to be seen as something outside of AA or different from the rest of it or anything like that, because we're really not. Right. So, but I do think twice sometimes when I share, because sometimes I'm like, if I'm totally honest, because I feel like, you know, there's so few of us, we, we kind of do represent the whole like atheist AA scene. So I'm like, if I really tell, if I'm like, you know, so I'm so grateful that I do have at least that, that home group that I can go in there and I can say whatever I need to say. And yeah, just be totally honest and just let it all loose and, and, um, not be judged and find a solution without God. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. We, uh, we, we had a, we had a little meeting, uh, well, we had our meeting on Thursday. I don't know. It kind of bugged me a little bit. We had a, I, I had a reading, I took it out of Adam N's book, uh, common sense recovery. Um, anyway, it was a strictly hardcore atheist reading where we kind of made, we kind of mocked, it was called the puppeteer God or something. We kind of mocked, mocked God a little bit in the reading, but anyway, ultimately the, the whole reading was all about how, okay, we don't believe that there's a God, but what these people see going on that they might attribute to God is actually all the, the people in their lives. And that's what we need to connect with. But anyway, that's what I saw in the reading, but everyone else said, felt like, um, that I that it, we read something that if believers were in the meeting they would feel uncomfortable and I was kind of like I was a little frustrated. It's like wait a second, why do we have to go out of our way to make believers feel comfortable when they're not doing that for us when we go to their meetings? I don't know, but I guess that was a little bit too heavy for my group. They 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 um they like to have more. Oh, I don't know, uh, program stuff, but not um not 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 coming from. God, they, they like to just have the, the religion, atheism and agnostic thing taken off the table completely, I think. Right, right. Yep. So. Well, there's different personalities and that's what's great because we all balance each other out. Yeah, yeah. But I do like that line that we read. I, I don't know if you guys do. Did you read the agnostic preamble when you start your meetings? No, we, Mikey, um, we have a script that we read, but usually we just, uh, we don't really do any traditional readings. I think we basically uh-huh. just kind of, give the format of the meeting. And then when we close, we do the uh, responsibility pledge. Yeah. You know what? That's right. I remember he was saying that they used to do that, but he said that by doing that, it would bring God out as a subject to begin with. So they just did away with all of that. And in doing that, they can have a meeting where it's just completely off the table. Right. It's just not even uh, anything for, for discussion even. Yeah. The only whether time you believe I, or not. And I would say in the beginning when we were, you know, when there were more people finding out about this for the first time, there was more talk about, I know because when I was a newcomer to that group, I had so many questions. And so, you know, God would come up, um, 
more often because of, you know, questions about how to work the steps certain ways and stuff. But I would say now that we, now that there are more people attending regularly and, um, it's just grown, there's less and less of that. And it's more just yeah. about like, you know, what's the solution and, and sometimes, you know, God's mentioned very infrequently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess just to wind it up, how are things going nowadays? What are, what are you up to now in your life? Um, things are good. I am, like I said, I work, uh, you know, at a, at a treatment center and, um, um, uh, still sober and that's pretty much it. I mean, I don't get too involved in service right now. Like I try mm-hmm. to do things like this and I'm actually going to be speaking at the rehab, um, one time this week, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, I go through different phases of service work. And mm-hmm. sometimes when I feel like other parts of my life are full, then I just sort of take a step back a little bit. And... Well, what you did here today by sharing your story on this podcast is is a huge help because there are people out there that, that need to hear stories from people that they can relate to and they because they feel like they're all alone sometimes in their AA meetings in their towns. So uh, this was this is very helpful what you're doing and I appreciate you taking the time to do it. It's, it means a lot to a lot of people. Thank you. I think now I'm working on more, you know, growing as a person and looking at some stuff that, um, you know, I'm sure has to do with my alcoholism, but more more like more character defects and stuff like that as in like, you know, how people say I came in for my drinking, but I stayed for my thinking. Like, so I'd say after, you know, my first five years now it's sort of like, okay, what about the other stuff? What about, you know, looking at emotional sobriety and, and how I interact with others and, and uh, just some other stuff that I was too busy learning out how to be sober to really look at. And now that it's like, okay, know how to not drink now really looking at other stuff. Yep. And that's, I tell you, that's where I'm at too. After 27 years, I'm still, still working on stuff, but I'm glad that I am, you know, cause I have learned a lot here just this last year or two, especially with how I interact, my interactions with people and how I kind of get sucked into things I probably shouldn't get sucked into and that kind of thing. So it's kind of, it's, it's good. It's good. Yeah, absolutely. I have, I, and I'm dealing with some, you know, I realize my anxiety, it, it's weird because I know my anxiety was always an issue for me. Um, and I'm sure, you know, I drank, um, on what am I trying to say? I drank because of anxiety, uh, on a numerous occasions, but mm-hmm. I would say learning, you know, how to handle anxiety, um, sober, because I feel like anxiety could probably trigger a lot of people to go back out and I don't oh, yeah. happen to me. So it's, you know, how do I, how do I cope with that? Um, and so just trying to learn different techniques and working with some, you know, outside sources to, to sort of manage mm-hmm. that, because I almost feel like my anxiety has, escalated in sobriety i know that probably sounds um that makes sense yeah it's almost like we become more aware of it yeah yeah so there's nothing else because you're right drinking was a definite way to take care of that you know i'm a really anxious person and like that anxiety gets triggered you know especially like you know with job changes and after my promotion it's like you know Mm -hmm. it goes back up and then i have to learn how to get it back down and to find relief because if I don't find relief, you know, um, with other coping mechanisms, then my brain will default to alcohol being my relief. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I do the same thing. And with, with me, yeah, anxiety is a big thing. Depression is a big thing. I get a little confused sometimes because of the two. Um, and the steps have helped me a lot. Um, the support with an AA helps me a lot. But I'm going to start looking at some other things, too. Like um, some people recently have gotten me interested in this in smart recovery and, and CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm going to look into that a little bit, see if maybe there's some, some benefit in that. I don't know or not. But... Yeah, I've done a little CBT, and it is very helpful. Is it really? I, I found that it was helpful. I got to learn about that. I, I think I will. I'm hearing more and more about it all the time. So I think that's that's going to be my next journey for me and my recovery is to learn about that. Absolutely. It was, I find it helpful. Okay. Well, Holly, thank you so much um, for the talk. I appreciate it. Um, we'll be putting this on here pretty soon. Okay. And so it'll probably be Wednesday. We'll put, we'll put it out. Okay. Well, thank you so much for um, speaking with me and giving me an opportunity to uh, share my story. Well, that's it for another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back soon with some interesting guests. So until then, be well and take care.